Well, good morning, Journey Church. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for joining us online as well. It has been an amazing time of Christmas. We had three Christmas Eve services this past week. Hundreds of people. Fantastic time. And if you, I know most of you guys will be able to be a part of that. But would you, with me, would you just thank all of our volunteers this past week and help put that on? So many people, so many moving parts to make Christmas Eve here at Journey Church happen. And I'm so thankful for each one of them and what they did. Uh, to make that time come off. And then yesterday we had Christmas. I'm, I sure hope that your Christmas was as enjoyable and as restful as mine was. And if it's not, you have another day to maybe try to figure that out, hopefully. Um, but as we move uh, into this new time, man, we're, we're, work, we're working now toward New Year and so many great things that are happening. I just want to say, you know, one of the things Pastor Mike shared with us at the end of that service was that Jesus is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. And I, that still rings out even today. And he's still the greatest gift that you'll give to someone else to, to go and to share. And that's going to help us as we continue to move uh, through our series now we teach today. Because our sermon today is titled, Now What? It's to think of the, what's happened. We get to Christmas Eve, we get to Christmas Day, and then next thing, the next day happens and we're kind of sitting and going, now what? I oftentimes think about maybe that's how Mary and Joseph felt when... You know, they go into town, they're, 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 they can't stay in the hotel, can't stay there. So they go to this small uh, area, barn area, they, they make shift stuff, get ready for a baby to be born. You know, they've got to be exhausted and tired and shepherds have come, brought more stinky animals to hang out with the newborn. That's always fun. Um, apparently this little drummer dude shows up and plays a solo for a brand new baby. Moms love that. Um, and then I just think there's this moment where even they are themselves are sitting around going, now what? And what we sit in today, knowing that we have the scripture, we have the rest of the story. But I still think even for us, there's a period of now what in our lives. When we get to Christmas, we hear the stories, we see the baby, we, we hear what's happened and what Jesus did. We even go through Easter, we just continually think now what. And in the Gospel of Mark, I feel like Mark does a great job of painting this picture of us to see very quickly as we move into the now what, what we are supposed to do. I've grown up a huge fan of movies. I, I love movies. I love, well, I love good movies. Let me say that. I know that now, oftentimes now we, there's so much things in them that make them not great. And a lot of times we go, wish that hadn't been in there. It'd have been better. But I love movies. I love how they're made, everything that comes to it. And, and what we see when that, when that first thing strikes and we hear the intro to a movie, there's so many things that happen before that. I mean, sometimes it's years worth of preparation and, and production and hiring the right actor and getting the light company that's going to do well and getting the right location and the locations. All these things go into making movies and it makes it even better when you think about the process that got there. I'm also a huge fan of football. I played all through uh, little leagues, junior high, high school, didn't play in college. Obviously, this is this is not going to work on a field at that level, but love the sport. I, I was given opportunities to coach the sport. I've been opportunities to, to referee high school football and occasionally from Mississippi where I grew up. I did junior college football there for a little while. Man, it was just amazing. But I'm telling you, even now as teams are preparing for bowl games coming up this coming weekend, no one got there by just sitting around doing nothing. Months, weeks, preparation went into those things to get them to where they are. And even then, they're still practicing, even now, to get to that stage. And until the referee blows a whistle and tells the kicker, now we can start the game, does it begin? And we will see in Mark, the same thing is happening, is that Mark is taking us quickly through this story of Jesus and the story of creation. And he doesn't waste much time. He doesn't take a lot of time figuring, to build in all this backstory. He's writing to the Romans, and the Romans are trying to figure out how to live life in this culture 
with all these religious people that have all this background and all this story. And Mark goes, somebody's got to reach them. Somebody's got to reach the ones who say, I don't really need all that backstory. I just need to know the story. And Mark gets us there very, very quickly. So now what as we move on? Read with me in Mark 1, 1 through 3. And this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. And this is what Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Mark just jumps right into this story right from the get-go of letting us know What's happening and just doesn't spend much time going back and giving us the backstory and all the history. He jumps right in almost immediately with, hey, there's these prophets and they've been talking about all these things that are coming to pass. And these two right here, we have Isaiah and we actually have Malachi as well. Both are referenced in, in their in their stories, the books in the Old Testament, this this reference to making way, preparing this way that is coming. They're shouting this stuff out. He references also two things here very clear for us. He references the wilderness it represents dual things in this passage. It represents the Exodus when they left and the children of Israel walked in wilderness for a while, like 40 years they spent walking in the wilderness, continually being disobedient to God until they finally, God opened up and said, now you can go into the promised land. But it also the wilderness here, the way Mark is writing this, lets us know about the garden. He even takes us back farther than the Exodus. He goes back to the garden in his reference of wilderness because what we don't see a lot of times as we read is that Adam and Eve were in a wilderness too. Was it the garden? Yes. Was it perfect? Yes. And Adam had messed that up. In a perfect place, he still chose to be disobedient. He still chose to sin. And Mark will later on reconnect us back to the wilderness again in referencing the wilderness the, the Israelites spent walking in and also the garden. But he's getting this very, very quickly as he gets out of that. And the other second thing is this, is he's telling us about he's the preparing the way and clear the road. That's who John, referencing John the Baptist, that's who he is. He is this messenger. He is the one that's going and preparing the way. And so he continues on. All, all the Gospels unfold with this story, this picture, and this telling of Jesus. But they rarely spend a lot of time beyond just the birth very quickly his ministerial life, and then his death. Thus they get us there to that point, but that's what it focuses on, on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four Gospels that were written focus on that really quick, basically that three years of his public ministerial life. And Mark literally, to the, to the ones he's writing to, to the Romans and to us that are reading it now, goes, I don't have time to go into all this. I just need you to know the story so you'll get it very, very quickly. We also see this pattern right here very quick in three verses that God is patient. Although Mark gets to it very quickly, if we've read the Bible, we continue to read the Bible, you'll see that God is patient. Think with me. Think in his creation. He could have done it all in one day. He took some time. He was methodic. We think of Abraham, the father of many nations, and he was the promise of a child. And it took a long time for him to get that child. We think again, the wilderness, the children of Israel, that they had to themselves chose to suffer, but they walked for 40 years. That's a long time. Then that first generation didn't even get to see the promised land. The prophets were coming. They were foretelling, and it was a busy time. Think about the period of time between Malachi and Matthew. Those two books in the Bible, there's literally just a page that's blank. It represents hundreds of years of God's silence. But in God's patience, he is calling his people to be active. Never once has he called us to just sit and do nothing for long periods of time. 
We ourselves have experienced moments of wilderness or, or lostness where we think this is, this is taking forever. But he calls us to action even in those moments. To be moving, to be active, to be continually searching and seeking and, and digging in. And so that is what Mark is communicating to his readers. It's like, hey, God is patient and he's done these things, but listen to me. He has a God of action. He wants you moving. In those moments where we feel lost, no matter what's going on, he wants us to continue moving. But Mark continues on with his writing. It says, the messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. He gives us the gospel very quickly. I'm preaching this way. People are repenting. They're being baptized. And they're, they're, they're going to God for their forgiveness. The essence of the gospel before Jesus himself has even arrived. Mark continues on in his sprint. All of Judea, including all of the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they had confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate, locusts, and wild honey. And John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he, the one coming, is what John's telling us, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, quickly, connecting to the Romans, to the readers. Quickly. He's connecting very, very quickly here. He's connecting a couple things. Mark is connecting to the Romans, who Jesus is, but also who John the Baptist is not. He's letting his readers know very, very quickly who Jesus is. He's saying, hey, the one's coming, and it's not me. And I'm not even this. I can't even, I can't even untie his sandals. Like, I'm not even worthy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so low. I'm, be, I'm below that to untie his sandals. But he's coming. So he is even pointing the way as in the wilderness. He is pointing the way, preaching, proclaiming of Jesus who is coming. So he's letting them know. Who he is and who John the Baptist is not. Jesus is the Messiah. And quickly we'll read this. Jesus was the one to save his people. He is the son of God. That's a quick synopsis definition of what Messiah means. Someone who's going to come and save. And John is pointing it out super quickly that that's, that's Jesus. That's not me. John is saying this. Mark's writing it. That's John. And he says this. But John the Baptist is just the messenger. Now, a messenger in the Old Testament, or, or when a king would come, would look like this. It would be someone who would go before a king who would arrive and prepare the way. This is what's taken in Scripture as Mark is writing. And he's even writing about the prophets. Prepare the way. Clear the road. The servant would often make sure the roads were smooth and clear for the king that was coming into town. So if the king decided he was going to go into a town and spend some time with people, checking on things, whatever he was doing, his kingly duties... In that area, he would send a messenger ahead and say, hey, I'm going on this date and around this time and I need my road needs to be clear. I need to make sure that it's safe for me to travel there. I need to make sure that there's no areas that are that are rough in the road. It needs to be smooth and clear and they need to know when I get there. And John the Baptist is the one that was prophesied about who came and he prepared the way he's in the wilderness preaching and teaching and sharing all about who Jesus is and what he is coming to do and making sure to keep the way cleared. Essentially, he's not me. John kept the emphasis always on Jesus and never on himself continually. He's greater than me. I'm doing this with water. He's doing it with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be so much greater than you can even comprehend or understand because it's not 
me. And again, Mark, getting very quickly to the point with his readers, getting very quickly to the point with those that are hearing the message that, again, don't need tons of backstory. Who is Jesus? This is who he is. This is why he's coming. This is what he is coming to do. John continually uh, making this known so quickly. And I love this description the author gives us. What was John's purpose? Well, he was purposed to be the messenger. And where did he live? He lived in the wilderness. He's just a beyond man's man. He's just burly and just out there. And what did he eat? What did he wear? Well, he ate locusts and honey. That sounds horrible. <laughs> he had a camel hair coat. Awesome. He, he had a leather belt around his waist. He's a hippie. This is a guy that's really out there with his dress, with his diet. I mean, he, he's just he's just way out there in so many things. But he is so true to his calling. He is true to his to his climate and the culture that he lived in. He's going to be who God called him to be regardless of what people think. And there's so many things that we see with with the locusts and the wild honey and, and the way he, what he wore, how he dressed. There's so many things, but it really adds up to a lot of this. He wasn't going to conform to anything that was religious or anything that was super political. Why? Because that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was not going to bow down to religion. And he would tell us to respect the authorities around us. But that was not his kingdom. That was not what he was about. And John wanted to represent that same thing as well when he comes there. So he's telling us this. And then again, he's in the wilderness. The wilderness represents this lostness that was in the world at that moment. Remember, there had been this silence from God for so long. And so now we have John in the wilderness. And he is crying out in the wilderness, in this dark lostness of the world. He is crying out saying, someone is coming. Someone is coming. He is coming. Trust me, he's on his way. I'm doing it this way. And we're pointing to God. But listen, he is on his way. He is coming. He's coming. He's coming. In this darkness, this lostness, this danger that is represented in the wilderness, there is a voice crying out and screaming. He is coming. He is coming. But Mark continues writing on very quickly here. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee. And John baptized him in the Jordan River. Remember earlier he had said, hey, I, I'm not even low enough to untie his, untie his sandals. I'm not even low enough to take this off of him. Now he's the one baptizing Jesus. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. So the one that was in the wilderness proclaiming is now baptizing the Son of God. The one that was in the wilderness, in this lostness, in this darkness, is now the one out there proclaiming Jesus. And I'm not even worthy enough to untie his sandals. And then Jesus approaches him and says, Hey, what you're doing with people, I want you to do with me. I can't do that. You have to do this. This is the way. This is what I'm, I'm going to do this as well. And John, in his humility, in his understanding of who he truly is com completely intended to be, and he goes and he baptizes Jesus. I mean, just takes him, lays his head back in the river and pulls him up. And then he becomes a witness to the Holy Spirit's presence, to the manifestation of, of God in human form of Jesus. And he audibly hears the voice of God call out and say, that's my son. Oh, you give me great joy. John hears every bit of this. 
those in attendance hear this. And it's such a beautiful picture for us to see the obedience of what we've called to do, to not say we're Jesus, but to say we're just pointing it. We're pointing at him. He's done it all. And John is able to lower himself to, to become that thing that he said, I'm, I'm not him, I'm so low, I can't even, and then it's like, but you have to. A couple other things we'll see here. Jesus enters the wilderness himself, but he's compelled by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, the adversary is what Satan means, for 40 days. Now Mark uses the term adversary throughout the entire writing of Mark. It's not just a one-time thing. He continually does that. And he does it for this purpose is because he wants the readers to know that Jesus himself and his deity and his holiness, the flesh of him, is going to continue to struggle with someone that's adversarial. Satan is going to be that person who continually shows up to cause calamity in Jesus' life. And what Mark is wanting us to realize, too, is that even in your own life, as we sit as redeemed people saved by Jesus, that Satan is going to continue to show up and be adversarial in your life. Has anybody ever experienced that? It's like at salvation, it's so wonderful. We We do. We feel amazing at salvation. And it's not very long after that that we begin to feel the pressure from Satan. And I share oftentimes, he hates your guts. He doesn't care anything about you. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to follow Jesus. And even if you are, he's going to do everything he can to keep it from happening. And Satan himself, strategic as he is, waited till at the end of Jesus at 40 days in the wilderness to go and then tempt him. Then become adversarial to him. Not at the beginning when he was fully strength, had tons of strength. Not even in the middle where he was like, oh, I'm going to be okay. It was at the very end when he was at his weakest point that he now come and try to bring the calamity into Jesus' life. And that's how Satan works. And again, our writer wants us to see that. He wants the Romans who would read this initially to see that as well, that Jesus is, is, is going to face the same things that you and I are facing as well. And he's overcome those things for us. He went into the wilderness, this darkness. When we talked about earlier, the wilderness represented this 40 years for the, for the Israelites where they walked feeling lost. And then there's John proclaiming into the wilderness this way. Prepare, get ready, he's coming, he's coming. We also said you know, that, the, that the wilderness represents the garden. And I told you earlier, Adam given complete utopian society. Standing in perfection, walking in the cool of the day and the night, with God himself, having one-on-one conversations, the whole thing was ruined by one choice. And when we see Jesus go into the wilderness where there is danger, there's wild animals, nature itself with rain and wind and things like that, darkness, and he's out there, but yet he overcomes every bit of it. He is successful through all of it because of who he is and what he was created to do. That is Jesus. And he goes into those places that we, we, we can't win. And he wins. and He gets victory. Mark continues to write here. Later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus now himself is, is proclaiming. He is standing in a victory formation himself and going, Hey, my friend, the one who baptized me is now in, in prison. 
His voice is, is being at some level silenced. It's not in the wilderness anymore. Now it's in a prison cell. It's not as loud. And so Jesus goes and tells the same story. He shares the same good news, but now he says the kingdom of God is near. It's fully embodied and it's right in front of you. And what is our, what is our goal? Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Here's the thing. Jesus says this. Jesus says, go tell. He takes the model of John and he does it himself. He just lives it out. John, you're baptizing people. You're going to baptize me. Your voice that was crying out in darkness and fear places, my voice is going to cry out now. And it is going to be the voice that will cry out to save all of humanity. And Jesus did this. He lived to tell. He came to this earth. He was born from a virgin. He was born as a baby. He grew up because he lived to tell. He lived on this earth so that he could tell himself of God's greatness and his fulfillment to all of us. And then what does he leave us with? We must tell so others may truly live. If we think about the life of Jesus, he was like, hey, I didn't come just to give you life. But I came to give you life to the full. We're always thinking that this is just enough. And then we meet Jesus and he goes, oh, no, no. This is just the beginning. It's going to get better. To the full is what Jesus says. And then we are left with this thing to go so that we can tell people so they may truly, they may truly find the freedom. Truly find the full life that he's called us to do. So now what? We have this, again, where, where Matthew writes as a, as a marathon to start with the lineage of Jesus, to take us all the way back to the Old Testament and connect him continually, like the prophets told, continually connect him to his birth. And then we start with these amazing stories and this life that Jesus led. Mark has a 40-yard dash. He, he's got to get there quickly. And he's writing to us and he's saying, listen, you don't have to have the Ph.D. You don't have to have all of it. You just need to know Jesus. If you can just start there and you can go and you can tell. Because in Mark 16, we always think about Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. Well, Mark has his version as well. And again, he gets there quickly. Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, he says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Mark takes the words of Jesus and, and he just concisely puts them together and, and just shares it very quickly. Take his example and go and do it. You've heard the words, you know about John, you know what he did, you know he went to prison, you know he was killed. And then Jesus was still here and he was sharing He's going to continue to do this all up until the point when he himself was murdered and hung on a cross. But guess what? Where all the prophets and everyone else had, had shared and then their life ended, three days later, Jesus' life comes back. He has conquered death. And he tells us very quickly, quickly right here, just go into the world. He tells us this very simply, go and preach. 
Go and teach. Go and talk. Go and tell. It doesn't matter whatever words you want to slap in here. Go do it. He's patient. But he wants us to be moving. He doesn't want us just sitting still. He doesn't want us just sitting in the knowledge and the wisdom that we have of who he is. Take that and go and tell. I just love how our Christmas Eve service is the greatest gift you'll ever you'll ever receive. Jesus, the greatest gift you can ever give is Jesus. And we have that task before us now. This is a little bit of encouragement for you. Well, the, the way has already been cleared. The king has come. The way has been cleared. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. He told people about him. Jesus has come. He's lived his earthly life. He paid your price and my price on the cross of our sin. To provide salvation for you, for me, for those who believe. And even those right now who are believing for the first time. As your heart is opening to the gospel. He's already done this. Check this out. The wilderness has been silenced. There's no more fear in the wilderness. There's no more what if. We don't have to have the voices crying out because Jesus has already gone there and he's conquered it. All of these things have already been done. So now what? Here's now what. We go and tell. Church, this is our mission simply, quickly, thank you, Mark, just go and tell. Just go and share. Again, you don't have to have PhD. You don't need tons of information. You don't need to sit in classrooms. We need to fill ourselves and read, yes, but, but be able to go and tell someone about the life change of you in your life because of Jesus. What else do you need besides a voice? A way to communicate to do that. This is our goal. This is what Mark is, is urging into his readers, which is us. Go and tell. So here's a ne- couple next steps for us. Listen to the ones that have proclaimed Jesus. You've heard the stories. You've heard the scripture. You've, you've heard messages. You've heard sermons. You've heard all kind of things. We listen to music that continually brag on the greatness of who Jesus is. So we've heard those things. Don't just let it fall on deaf ears. Repent of your sins. Believe the good news. I just believe there's someone in this room today that, again, like I said earlier, this is the, the first time your heart has begun to open to the gospel. You're like, I, I, think, I, I think I'm hearing this. this. This is beginning to make a little sense to me. I want this freedom. I want this, this salvation. I want this eternal life. I want this life to the full. They keep talking about this every week from the stage, and I think I'm getting it now. And yes, just repent of your sins. God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm a horrible person. But I want to know you. I want Jesus, I want to know your salvation. I, I want, I'm believing this good news. That can happen right now. And then lastly is this. Just go and tell about Jesus. I know it seems like something we've just been just banging the drum over and over and over again on. But it's that simple. There's no fear. And so what if people go, I don't want to hear that. Do you know how many people walked away from Jesus? 
tons. Not every time Jesus shared his gospel that he told people, did they just fall down and repent and, and, and receive salvation? Actually, more times they walked away sadly. Or they just rejected him. Or they initially followed him because it was kind of fun to be... And then over a course of time, you would read in Scripture, the crowds began to thin. They began to go back to their ways. Don't let that fear silence you. Go and tell about Jesus. If you would, bow your heads with me for a moment. As I said earlier, I just feel like in this moment there's someone whose heart is opening to the gospel right now for the first time. Every, every week, the gospel is proclaimed from this stage. The good news of Jesus is shared. And if today that's you, and you, you're, you just can be like, hey, Brandon, I, I think my heart is beginning to open. I think for the first time I'm beginning to understand a little bit more about this man Jesus and if that is you man praise God our prayer team will be on the sides of our stage here in just a few moments and, and you have the freedom to move to a time of prayer with them and they'll be in the back in, in, in the very back of the worship center in the VIP room if you would like to have even a deeper conversation with them we want to respond to you. We want to pray with you. We want to rejoice with you. We want to sorrow with you in this moment. But I need you to know that is something that is totally and completely between you and God. The Bible tells us very, very clearly that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So whatever prayer it is that you have to say, I need you to know that he wants to save you. It's not a choice Jesus has to make now. He, he made that choice years ago when he chose to come to this earth. We celebrated his birthday yesterday. He's already made that choice. He wants to save you. But will you ask him to do it? If you would, with your head still bowed, would you just stand with me and I'm going to pray for us. To stand together all over the room. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And Father, in this moment, we, we commit everything to you. We trust you, we love you, and we thank you. Father, I pray that in this moment that we move. And as your word's taught us about your patience, you've also taught us to be people of action so that we would move, that we'd allow your Holy Spirit to move in this place today. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you for being obedient to your Father, for living perfect on this earth, for being obedient to the cross, being obedient to your death, and three days later, obedient to resurrection that makes everything possible. We love you. We pray in your name.